down here uh, a couple of Saturdays ago with some guys out back. They were slaving away with chainsaws on Saturday, their day off, cutting up this tree that fell. Okay? How come? Because it was fun? Rob didn't look like he was having a whole lot of fun running the chainsaw. Jeff, driving wedges. I was in the track hoe. I was kind of nice and cool with the air conditioning. I did get out to warm up every now and then and give them a lot of hard time. Serve others. You do things. We mentioned earlier tonight about cleaning the building. Why do we do these things? Why do we serve others? Okay, we do that because we want to, because of our love for Christ. That's why we do it. It's not because of the people. It's our love for Christ that we want to do those things. And when we start thinking about this, you know, this love that we have within us, it takes the place that all the laws that God ever gave us. You know, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself solves every problem that we could have, right? If you'll turn back with me just a little bit to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13, 8. It says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love knows, does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. That's what... Paul was trying to get across there in Romans and here in Galatians the same idea. You know, because if you love people and only because you love Christ, then you won't steal from them. You won't murder them. You won't lie to them because of the love for Christ. That's how then we take that and love people. Loving the heart is God's substitute for laws and threats and everything else like that. But it has to come from love. I remember when I was a child growing up, we lived in Powell, Tennessee, which is not a real big area, but we lived at the corner of Irwin Road and Fairlane Road, which was a decently busy intersection. And I remember when we were real little, mom and dad had rules that we couldn't go out to the road. You know, that was the rule. That was the law. They didn't want us to go play in the traffic or play in the road. But as we grew older, all of a sudden we could maybe get a bicycle. You know, if we were obeying the law and doing all those things. And then later on, I could even ride my bicycle on the road. And I was on the road when I hit the car and ended up in the body cast. You know, but I had that freedom then. But it, freedom came after the learning experience from the law. So if we kind of think about that idea... As a child, as we grow, we understand the love part. You learn to obey, not only to escape the pain or something if we've gotten trouble out there in the road, but we can gain pleasure. And then as we continue to grow and mature in Christ, you know, uh, I got to move off. And my mom and dad didn't tell me how to do things when I became an adult. You know, I did my own little thing. You know, I lived in different cities in them. But I had a discipline coming up that you do things that keep you safe. And by doing those things, it has to do with love. When people show me love, that's how that works. Uh, 
Love replaces the law. Just the same way at my house, it does the same way through Scripture. We can see how the love that we have through Christ can replace the law that we have. But the law comes from the Holy Spirit. As we'll see in verse 22, uh, well, we actually already saw it back in verse 6. Uh, you know, it all comes from the Holy Spirit. But the Galatian believers, you know, they were, they lacked this love. It's obvious in Paul's letter because as he talks to them there in verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one thing, love your neighbors as yourself. That's what you need to do. Why does he go into verse 15 and say, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Because I think they were acting like a bunch of heathens. They were acting like animals. That's what certain animals do. Certain animals, if you have, for example, a pack of coyotes and a coyote gets killed, the other coyotes will eat their one that got killed. That's just what they do. They devour each other. You know, and so that's what he's saying. We don't need to act like a bunch of animals if you bite and devour one another. Don't act like that, you know, because through Christ we can have this spirit of love that we get from the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's what we need. We don't need all these extremes that we see in the Galatian church because that's just destroying it. All the legalists here, the libertines, if you want to call them that, on the other side, but they were just destroying the fellowship. But now, the Holy Spirit does not work in, we would call it, a vacuum, okay? Uh, he actually works in us through several different things. He uses the Word. When we get in the Word, the Spirit speaks to us through prayer, worship, fellowship with other believers. But as a believer, if we can spend time daily in the Word and yield when we see the Spirit working, then we're going to enjoy this liberty, you know, to enjoy the freedom. People are going to look at you and say, why are you able to smile or look like you're okay with all this stuff going on? Because God's in control, and I have liberty, and I can have freedom in Christ. You know, yes, we're still all in this world, but we can have that type of freedom. You know, and that's one of the, that was the first point. You know, the spiral enables us to overcome, um, to fulfill what the law promised. Now, the next part, starting in verse 16, is how the Spirit enables us to overcome the flesh. If we think back in the Old Testament to Isaac and Ishmael, they were unable to get along, kind of like brothers do. I don't know if any of y'all have brothers. I have two brothers. Growing up, me and my brothers, we fought all the time. That's what brothers do. We didn't seem like we get along. Do we get, we get along fine now? We're all grown-ups, and we, we, now we still act stupid on occasion because we are guys after all but we can we've handled the relationship you know we get together we're okay but if we think back to Isaac and Ishmael they didn't get along and that's just like the flesh and the spirit they're at war with each other all the time now when Paul talks about the flesh in verse 16 let's see what he's trying to actually tell us in verse 16 he says, I say then, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Here he's talking about, now we don't use that word contrary a lot. Growing up as a kid, I heard a lot of people, well, what's about him? Well, he's just contrary. 
And that was that guy that no matter what you said, he was against it. <laughs> you know, it didn't matter what, what the issue was. He was just contrary. But there are things that we have to realize about how our body and our spirit, they're always fighting together. There's a lot of things that are opposites that just don't seem like they go together. This is science lesson time now. Uh, Y'all know what a molecule is. A molecule is the itty bitty thing that we can't even see. And a molecule is made up of atoms. They're even smaller than it takes a bunch of atoms to make a molecule. Well, inside an atom, we have three things. We have protons, neutrons, and electrons. Y'all didn't know that I was this science person. Okay, now the thing about all these little things inside an atom that is, you know, I forget how many gazillion of them are on the head of a pen. You've got a proton that has a positive charge. And you have an electron that has a negative charge. And then you have a neutron which is neutral. It doesn't have a charge. So the problem is it's kind of like a magnet. Y'all know what a magnet is. There's a positive and a minus, and that's how they stick together. Well, the problem is in this little bitty atom, you got something with a positive charge and something with a negative charge, and people always try to figure out how do they stay together? How does it happen? And a lot of the scientific explanations, they have the answer. It's called cosmic glue. Okay? Cosmic glue, I think, is better known as God. <laughs> God holds atoms together. He understood. He created them. He knows how it all works. Because scientists, they really can't figure out how that actually works. But they know that it works, but they can't figure out how, so they invent the cosmic glue thing. But what I want us to understand, opposites, polar opposites, can they get to any common ground ever? Well, that atom is a perfect picture of that because our body is over here, our spirit is over here, and they're always warring together. You know, different things, different appetites. If we think about looking at some appetites that we can look at in Scripture, let's, let's talk about some animals. Uh, there's sheep mentioned in Scripture. Sheep is a clean animal. It doesn't eat just anything that it comes across. They want to find good grass, good pasture. That's what a sheep's going to eat. Whereas a pig is kind of different. He's unclean and he will eat anything that he comes across, no matter what it is, as long as it won't make him sick. Pig won't ever eat anything that makes him sick. Don't know how they know, but they do. But he'll eat nasty stuff. You know, that's why we used to call it, you would go slop the hogs. You'd feed them all the stuff that the people wouldn't eat. So two different kinds of animals. But we also can see a couple of different kinds of birds. After the rain ceased, after the flood in the ark, Noah sent out the first bird. He sent out a raven. Raven is, we call them a lot of times crows around here, very similar type bird. And you will see them eating the stuff that gets killed on the road. You'll either see the buzzards or the crows there because they eat, they call that carrion or dead stuff. Well, when, Mo, I mean, when Noah sent out the raven and it didn't come back, well, why didn't it come back? Well, there was all sorts of dead stuff floating in the flood, so it had plenty to eat. There was no need to come back. 
But then he sent out a dove. Well, a dove does not eat carrion. A dove needed somewhere, it needed vegetation. It needed some sort of tree, somewhere to land. So it was a clean animal. So it, that's why when it didn't return, it had found some place to settle down. That's how Noah knew that, that the waters had receded. And our nature, our old nature is kind of like the pig and the raven. We're always looking for something on unclean on which to feed ourselves. You know, that's what we're doing. But our new nature, our new nature is like the sheep and the dove, yearning for that which is clean and holy. And so that's how this struggle that's always going on in our life. But we can't relate that to an unsaved person because they don't have that struggle. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit, so they are just a slave to their sin. That's all that they worry about is where is the next thing there. But we as Christians, a lot of times we think, well, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to make my mind up. I'm not going to do that. Well, the problem is we can't do that. If we, we just can't. These two are opposed to each other so that we can't. If you go back over into Romans and Paul talking about, you know, he says, I do not know what I'm doing for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. That's in Romans chapter 7. Even Paul had the same struggle with his body. Now, he's not denying that you can get victory, but you're always going to have to realize that this battle is going to continue on. We can't win this victory in our own strength or by our own will. Now, down in verse 18, we kind of can see the answer to this. But if you are led by the Spirit... Don't put our will against the flesh, but surrender our will to the Holy Spirit. If you're willingly led by the Spirit, then we're not under the law. You know, the Holy Spirit is going to guide us. He's going to write God's law on our hearts and show us those, these things. Uh, says over in uh, 2 Corinthians, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Uh, Yea, thy law is within my heart. That's Psalm chapter 40. Being led of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are the opposite of yielding to the flesh and doing what the flesh teaches us how to do. So how does this happen? Well, let's get back to Scripture in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now Paul, he's listing all these ugly works of the flesh. You know, there's similar lists that you can see uh, different places in scripture but realize it's as jeremiah said in chapter 17 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked but if we take this list we can kind of divide it into three major categories i guess the first one talking about sensual sins uh, adultery fornication what we know that that is how wrong that is uncleanness means just that it's a filthiness of heart and mind that makes you defiled the unclean person, you know, you see dirt everywhere. Lasciviousness is close to our word debauchery. It's about an appetite where you just do whatever. Drunkenness, revelings, 
you know, we, we understand what all these things are telling us, you know, that's what it's there in the, the sensual sins, if you will. The superstitious sins, idolatry, I mean, we, we have idolatry today. It's not so much always the worship of an idol that we have on a pedestal in our home, but we have a lot of idols, you know. When we put something ahead of God or other people, that is idolatry. Uh, we're to worship God, love people, and use things. But too often, we use people, love self, and worship things, and we leave God out of the picture totally. You know, that's what happens there. Jesus tells us that whatever we worship, we serve. That's in Matthew chapter 4. But if we are a Christian, those who devote more of themselves to your car, your house, your boat, your golf clubs, whatever, than you do to serve in Christ, that's kind of, you're in danger of idolatry here. Uh, then we get to witchcraft that we see there. Uh, the word for witchcraft is the, comes from that Greek word pharmakia, uh, which is about drugs where we get our word pharmacy, uh, because a lot of the magicians back in Paul's day, they used drugs to make people think that all these evil spells and evil things were working. Uh, then sorcery, we know that's forbidden. All the, all the parts of the occult are wrong. So you've got sensual sins, superstitious sins, and then you have social sins. Hatred or enmity, that's the attitude that you defile and challenge others. Uh, leads to variance, strife, emulations or jealousies or rivalries. I mean, how bad is it when we Christians compete with one another, try to make somebody else look bad? Or wrath, outbursts of anger, strife. Strife carries the idea of self-seeking along the same terms. Envyings, carrying, that's carrying a grudge or the deep desire for what somebody else has. I believe we all know what murders are. The person who practices all these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul isn't talking about the actual act of sin of when it happens once, but it's more of the habit if we have that pattern over and over. You know, and that's kind of a, a false assurance of salvation that people have that's not based on the word of God when we talk about that the believer is not under the law, you know. We are not under the law, but we're under grace. But that's still, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that's no excuse for sin to know about grace. But how do we handle this, this stuff that's fighting in all these things? Well, glad you asked that question in your head anyway. Let's go down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And, and we're going to come back and get those in a minute. But right 24 is the answer. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, that's how we identify ourselves because of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Christ didn't only die for me, but I died with Christ. Christ died for me to remove the penalty of my sin, but I died with Christ to break sin's power. Now, Paul already talks about this idea about crucifying. He's not talking about we need to crucify ourselves. This part's free. Crucifying is the one, one way that you cannot commit suicide. 
you couldn't you cannot crucify yourself so you couldn't physically do that you know but when we understand that we have to crucify ourselves he tells us that the flesh has already been crucified we have to understand that believe that and act on it uh, back in Romans Paul uses the term reckoning to kind of give us the same idea you know because when we have the truth presented to us we we reckon the two together now we're not debtors to the flesh but we're debtors to the spirit we have to understand what God says about our old nature but go forward through the Holy Spirit not try to make it something it's not we do not need to try to make provisions for the flesh by feeding it the things that we like. Because in our flesh, there's nothing good that's going to be there. We don't need to put confidence. Because our flesh isn't subject to God's law. And it can't please God. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we're able to put to death the deeds that the flesh would do. So that's what we have to do. It is only through crucifying the flesh. And we do that. Christ did that when he died on the cross and through the Holy Spirit we need to continue to do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's how he enables us to do that. Then the third point, the Spirit enables us to produce fruit. Uh, so we're going to go back up now to verse 22. Here we talk about fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we think about these things, you know, it's one thing to overcome the flesh and not do evil things, but quite something else to do good things. It's kind of like if you've ever been away from kids for a while and you ask the kids, did you do something wrong? No, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, did you do anything good? Well, I didn't know I was supposed to do anything good. You know, adults, we're the same way. You know, we tend to think, well, if I didn't do anything wrong, I'm good. I didn't sin. I didn't do that. I didn't. But did you do anything good? You know, are we producing fruit? <laughs> or are we just not, not messing up? You know, not messing up is good, but we still need to be producing fruit. Uh, in my Sunday school class, I've been talking for months about tomatoes and how I can never wait for that first ripe tomato. Because we have tomato plants. You put a tomato plant in the ground. You know why I plant tomatoes? I want the fruit. I don't plant them because I think they're beautiful plants. They stink. They're not that pretty. But them suckers will produce tomatoes. They produce fruit. And that's what we need to look at here. You know, uh, do we produce fruit? Does anybody see that? Because there's a contrast between works and fruit. And we're going to try to hit this contrast. If any of y'all have ever been to a, any kind of factory, there's machines in factories and they just work and churn out products. Ka-ching, ka-ching. That's what they do, you know. They make M&Ms. They make cars. They make lots of stuff. But it's just machines. It's just working and making stuff. But the difference about fruit, it could never manufacture fruit. Is there a machine in a factory that can make apples or tomatoes? Tomato is a fruit, by the way. It's not technically a vegetable. Okay. Is there machines that can make a fruit? 
Is there a machine that makes apples? No, there's not one that makes apples or oranges or any of these fruits. So how do we get fruits? You know, well, a fruit comes as a, as a result of natural process. When you think of a fruit, it grows out of life. That's where it comes from. It grows out of life. And when you think of works, you think of all the effort and strain and labor and all these things. But when you think of fruit, you just see this beautiful red apple. I remember as a kid, we used to see pictures of a red apple sitting on the teacher's desk. And that was always the best looking red apple. You know, but it's kind of like how fruit is. When you think of fruit, you think of beauty, quietness, and how it comes apart. But our flesh, you know, it's not like that. It's all dead. But the Spirit produces more fruit, much fruit. And the thing about fruit is we need to eat it. We need to partake of the fruit. Any of y'all ever seen that first tomato that you're waiting on? Oh, man, it's beautiful. You got it? And you put it on the counter and you're like, I'm just waiting for the right day to make me that fried bologna sandwich and put that tomato on there. And you just wait and you wait and you wait. What happens if you never eat that fruit? It goes bad. It'll just rot. Fruit is made to be eaten. It is made to be consumed and go on. And inside that fruit, there are seeds. What do those seeds inside the fruit do? They bring forth more fruit. But it's only through the consuming and using of the fruit that we get more and more fruit. That's the cycle that we kind of need to be. The Spirit produces this living fruit. And this fruit has the seed for more fruit. Love begets more love. Joy helps produce more joy. Jesus is concerned that we need to produce fruit, much fruit, as he says over in John 15, because this is how we glorify him. He wants us to produce fruit. The old nature can't produce fruit. It's only our new nature that does. Now, in the New Testament, we see several different kinds of fruit. Uh, if you look over in Romans, uh, people won to Christ, holy living, gifts brought to God, good works, lots of things we can characterize our fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit listed here that we're looking at has to deal with our character. You know, it's important that we distinguish the gift of the Spirit, which is salvation. Do you see the difference in the gift and the fruit? If you get the gift, then the fruit will come later. This is the fruit of the Spirit, okay, that we're talking about here. It's not the gift, it's salvation. But from the graces of the Spirit, that's how we can have this fruit. But so many times people want to get into the gifts of the Spirit or the gift of the Spirit. Uh, some of our uh, more, a uh, couple of denominations that are a little more into the spiritual gifts. We'll leave it at that. Uh, but we need to go back to what God wants us to see in the fruit of the Spirit. And he starts out talking about, what's the first one? Love. We've already been talking a lot about love. Paul began with love because of all the other fruit is really just an outgrowth of love. All these others are pretty much still an outgrowth of love. Now the word love, you know, it's the agape love. It's not the romantic love like a husband and wife. This is the love like God has for us. 
the agape type love. But when you live in the spirit of in a sphere of love, then you can experience joy. Joy is that inward peace that we can have in sufficiency. It doesn't matter what's going on around us, you can still have joy. You know, even like this week when my air conditioner's been out, the dishwasher broke, the dryer broke, the generator wouldn't run, the power was off. That's about all what's been going on in my life this week. I still tried to have joy. That's a little hard sometimes. But it could have been a lot worse. I could have been in Maui. I mean, we've seen that. God is so good to us, we need to have joy even when stuff's not going right, you know? But that's, we can only have joy if we have the love of Christ with us, you know? I mean, Paul, he had all these difficulties going on, but he could still do that. Uh, then, then we see some of the other things. Then it talks about peace. Well, love and joy together can work and you can have peace. Back in the day when they used to have the Miss America pageant, and they would say, if you could have one wish, what would it be? World peace. That was the pat answer for Miss America contestants. Why, doesn't that sound great? Did you know you can have peace? You can have peace through Christ. That's the only way we're going to get peace. But we can have peace through Christ. That's what he's trying to say there. Then we get into some that talk about manward things, long-suffering. Long you know, that's when you can keep on going <coughs> to those things that you think, wow, how long am I going to have to go through this? You know, all these trials that we have, and a lot of times these involve other people. You know, we don't want to try to avenge ourselves on people that disagree with us or, or don't want to do things the way we do. Uh, but there's uh, long-suffering kindness, you know. I mean, how do we do that? How can we be kind to people? You can be kind to people even if you don't like them. Uh, if you don't believe me, try it. You know, we can be nice to people. As you all know, I'm a football official. That's getting ready to go back up. We talked about this in our meeting Monday night. There's coaches out there that are going to be yelling and screaming at me Friday night. I can be kind to them even though I don't like it. Okay, I need to be respectful. I need to be kind, you know, and understand he's just kind of hung up in the moment here. <clears throat> Those are the things we need to do. Goodness. I mean, we need to be good. We need to do the right thing. You know, we'll sow goodness. You know, human nature doesn't want to sow goodness. It wants to sow discord. It wants to cause problems. So when we see that, but then it says faithfulness gentleness, self-control, you know, continuing on. Now, meekness isn't weakness. I mean, Christ, he called himself meek over in Matthew, and Moses uh, was declared as meek, but they weren't weak. A meek Christian doesn't throw your weight around or assert yourself. It's kind of like wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Meekness is the right use of authority and power. You know, I I've had to tell people sometimes you're mistaken. You're, you're mistaken my being nice for being weak, and we're not going to be doing that. You know, and we can have those things. Meekness is a wonderful attribute, uh, you know, that we need to have. But when we start thinking about what he's talking about here, how does it continue on? Now, our old nature, you can kind of counterfeit some of, the, some of these attributes. 
I've known some nice people that were as lost as a ball in high weeds. And they wanted to count their salvation on, well, I'm nice. I haven't done this, and I haven't done this, and I haven't done this. As we talked just a few minutes ago, there's a lot of times not doing something isn't all of it. You need to do something sometimes. Just because you haven't done all the bad stuff, if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, that's the problem. Okay, It's not all the bad stuff that you haven't done, but if you haven't accepted Christ. And to realize that's what we have to continue to do. People can counterfeit some of these things, but our flesh can never produce the fruit of the Spirit. Because even when the Spirit produces the fruit, who gets the glory? God. As our pastor says, and I'm so grateful he does, all glory be to Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. Does everything point to Christ? Does everything point to God? You know, people, that's what they want to do. You know, that's where they're at. You know, they're proud when they do something. As Christians, we're not trying to be spiritual. We should just automatically happen, but it shouldn't be an effort that we do, you know, to where, well, I want to be spiritual today because I'm going to be at church. That's not what it's out. You know, we're not trying to be spiritual. We're just supposed to have the love of Christ in us, and that comes out. Because it's all about kind of like this fruit. If you think about the fruit that we were talking about and how it comes about, does fruit just naturally happen? Well, to some degree. But do you cultivate it? On the tomato plants, if you don't pick off all the suckers at the bottom, you know, those little sprigs that keep coming out, your tomato plant will spend all season just growing leaves and not growing tomatoes. Well, I'm not eating tomato leaves. I want that big red tomato. So sometimes we have to cultivate it. I remember Ed Vire. A lot of y'all didn't know Brother Ed, but man, he cultivated apple trees like nobody's business. But you had to do stuff. You've got to prune them sometimes to make them produce. You know, all these sorts of things. But this fruit will continue to grow and produce. That's what it involves. This involves getting in the word, prayer, worship, praise, fellowship. And then sometimes you've got to get in there and pull the weeds out. <laughs> That's part of cultivation too, you know. But when we understand that, we need to get to the point where fruit can grow and produce fruit. And again, remember that once we get to the fruit, it needs to be eaten. Not just admired and put on display, but we need to take that fruit and share it with other people. Because there's a starving world out there that's ready for the fruit that we can have. You know, a lot of people in our flesh, we can manufacture, quote, results. But are we bringing forth fruit that what Paul is talking about here? You know, if we live in the Spirit, as he says in verse 25, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another it's not a contest with us christians it's not even a contest with us churches here in kingston you know we don't need to have that that idea let us walk in the spirit that's how we get fruit that's how we do it the the whole secret to everything i've said all night i've been wandering around here for about 45 minutes is the secret is the holy spirit that's what paul is trying to tell us if he can give us that fifth freedom kind of that we talked about earlier, that's what he wants us to do. 
then we can fulfill the law of love, overcome the flesh, and bear forth fruit. And I think that's what he's trying to show us here in Galatians. But let's close with a prayer. Dear Father, once again, Lord, we do just thank you for who you are and what you've done. We just thank you so much for your word, Father, what it means to us, how we can take it and apply it to our lives. And I just pray, God, that as folks here at Grace Church, that we just always might take your word, find out how we can use it, Lord. Put the spirit within us. Help us to have the spirit of love and not the fleshly spirit, God, that we might be able to go forth and bring forth much fruit. And now as we leave this place, we just pray that you would lead God and direct. Be with us as we come back on Sunday. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.